Shabbat Shalom, Dr. P. Hi, Joy. Good morning. Shabbat Shalom. Good morning. You're the last three, let's see, Sefer, Locusts and Honey, and your last, uh, The Falling of Babylon. Oh, have you been right on. I have enjoyed it so much. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you, Joy. Thank you for saying so. And how? Shalom. Hello. Hello. Hey, Dave. There you are. Hey. Hi, Felix and Melissa. Good to see you. Hi, Sherry. Good to see you. Hey, Rick. Glad you're here with us. Hi, Andrea. Good to see you. Hi, Joy. Of course. Hi, Pamela. Hey, Vern. Hey, Wes. Okay. Now, my wife just reminded me that I got to kind of hold the good morning. Hi, Shane and Jessica. Good to see you. Hi. Uh, hey, uh, my wife reminded me this morning, we got to kind of uh, limit our exposure today. And in addition to that, uh, I had one of our, one of the fellowship wrote me and said, you know, Dr. P, things are kind of crazy because, you know, people have their hands up for four hours waiting to talk. <laughs> you know, and I'll tell you, it's, it's very true, you know, and I, I don't want to be in that situation because I'm not trying to hurt anybody or... Yeah. It'll cause anybody to have to experience long periods of tolerance. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I've been there before. You know, remember when you were in class? I got the answer. I got to teach you. Get your hand on your elbow. You're back there. I got it. I got it. We're not calling on you anymore. I used to get that in class. Like, put your hand down. We're not calling on you anymore. Well, you remember? You guys might remember when you were in college. They had, uh, you had a, an oral presentation. Was speaking in class was part of your grade. You remember that? Speaking class was part of your grade. Well, okay. If you're going to make that part of my grade, trust me, I got it covered. <laughs> you know, because I can tell you from kindergarten <laughs> on, my report cards always read, read the same thing. Talks too much. Talks too much. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happens to you, I guess. Anyway, hey, listen, I've got some news for us all while you guys while were gathering. Good morning, Eileen. Good to see you. And uh, I'm just so glad you guys with us. Sometimes I don't catch all you guys because I only get a certain number of people on the screen. You know, I wish I had one of these huge screens where I could see everybody, but I don't. And uh, so it's kind of a smaller screen. But um, so what's happening up here in Alaska, you know, there's been a lot of talk. And I I mentioned some of it on the show on Thursday that there's drought all over the West now. And the drought is really quite huge in some places, much worse than others, like, uh, for instance, in Nevada, Southern California. Uh, Northern Arizona, Utah, the drought is like really bad. But up here in Alaska, we've also had very dry conditions this summer. And we have a little problem up here in Alaska. There is an indigenous insect up here called the spruce beetle. And this spruce beetle normally in cold winters is killed off. But uh, because, you know, in my opinion, we've had a shift of the magnetic pole used to be alongside to the northern end of Baffin Island in Canada. And instead it moved all the way off the coast of Siberia. Well, because of that, that has shifted the kind of northern atmosphere, if you will. In other words, the super cold Nordic weathers have moved a little bit to the northeast. Now, as a consequence, you see the east coast of the United States and the central part of the United States getting hammered with the inordinate cold in the winter. Uh, and this has been going on for, I don't know, eight, 10 years. And they've had, you know, record snowstorms and, and uh, record uh, cold weather oh, repeatedly over the last 10 years. Well, in the meantime, things are happening in Alaska that it's not getting as cold as it used to get. 
And for instance, Wasilla, where I live, where I am, named after Basili, Basili, uh, the tri- uh, chief of the um, Dena'ina tribe, the uh, the area, the temperature used to hit forty below every winter, with a couple of bouts of twenty below. Now, really, the coldest we ever see is about twenty below, and, not, and for not very long. And so, it's really quite unusual, and it's not enough to kill off the spruce beetle. Well. We've got a lot of spruce, particularly here in, in central Alaska. There's a lot of uh, uh, black spruce and white spruce. And the spruce beetle has been killing about mm, half the trees standing. And when it kills them, it takes out everything. All the sap is gone, everything. The tree dries up completely. I mean, completely dry. Uh, and it makes for the best firewood you can possibly imagine because you don't even have to wait for it to dry. You can cut it right down, t- toss it right in the wood stove. It's ready to go. But it's also a tinderbox. I mean, the slightest little lightning strike or whatever, boom, it goes up. So we have, there's a couple in our fellowship that they were living down on the Kenai for a while. And they've been called out of that with their two children. And so they, they sold their place in the Kenai. And they've moved up to a place between Healy and Fairbanks, which is really, uh, you know, a, quite an interesting move. And they went up there and they didn't think that they were going to be able to do the things that they were doing because uh, the husband was actually dying uh, from um, bad intestines. But we prayed over him during Passover and he's had a remarkable healing. And they went up to their property and began to clear their property. Well, they didn't, they didn't know, what, know quite what to expect when they got up there, but they were working so fast, working so furiously that they were able to clear all of this uh, standing alder that was on the property. And the alder was all about, mm, say between 80 and 100 feet tall. And all the trees were about yay big around. So Jim dropped all this alder and he dropped enough alder for them to build an entire log package, which they weren't expecting. They were expecting to come up with their own milled wood. And uh, so he's got all this alder. So they're starting to do this. Well, they find out that all of this is great. Everything's going along fine. Then one of the largest wildfires in the state of Alaska starts burning. And last week, it was about nine miles from their house. Last night, we learned it was about 1,500 feet from their property, about 1,500 feet. And the information we got today is that FEMA is up in the region and let's just call these controlled burns, if you will. So right now in the state of Alaska, there are 2.5 million acres burning, 2.5 million acres burning. And so I got a phone call this morning asking if we, our fellowship would pray about this fire turning from their property and, and moving away from that effort. And it's not just about their property because their property represents for our fellowship kind of the Northern Gate. And it's a Northern Gate uh, preventing uh, the darker forces of paganry and, uh, and some of the other darker forces of evil that are present here from coming southward. And uh, so this is, they're, they're kind of the gatekeepers there in that place. And so if, you, if we can, if you don't mind, if we open in prayer and can pray for them. Now, before we do, let me go through a couple of quick hands quick. Now, and again, I'd like to remind you, I need to quit today 
at noon my time. So that's going to be three hours from now. Okay. Three hours from now. I'm going to have to wrap this up. Okay. Okay. So Lynn, let's, how's it going, brother? How's life treating you? Oh, well, I'm a lot of stress, but I wanted to give an update and ask for some prayer. Okay. I have a place to take the RV in Dickinson for four fifty a month. And, you know, everything seems to be included. I forgot to tell about the trailer. Ain't no problem. And I hope my chauffeur comes here. And if I get out here by the fifth day and I got some stupid stuff about jury due the second time, you know, and the first time was canceled. I put on there, you know, uh, not, can't judge other than my faith. And I put on no vehicle to get there, which is kind of true because, can't afford the gas so everybody keeping prayer that'll be canceled and for anything goes right and I, I can get a part-time job of cash where i used to work so i just need prayer all, all that stuff he'll then write a letter directly to the judge to the presiding judge well i already I sent the paper back to him hmm? i already sent the paper back to him oh okay so you don't have the address no because if you write to the clerk the clerk will just say well whatever you didn't appear but if you write to the judge, the judge will have your explanation. And uh, so it's something to think about. Okay. But we will pray for that. I'm going to pray for your escape from the situation you're in, that it's not only going to be a good escape, but it's going to be a blessed escape. And that Yah is going to place you where he wants you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, brother. We'll do. Okay. Jessica, how about you? Hi, thank you. Hi, everyone. Actually, mine is about Dr. P and Stephanie coming over in September it's just for all of you who are in the UK, because we're here together today. And um, also, if you're close by, like Spain, France, even Portugal, we've actually, so Dr. P and Stephanie with a, a close friend who's part of the team, Cheryl, are coming over in September. They're coming on mission and they're doing a lot of research, but they've dedicated four days where they're going to be in rugby. Now, the reason for this is we're gonna have at least three of those days where we're trying to make it so that we can have fellowship with you because when pan the pandemic was on, you guys got together for two hours and you weren't able to spend too much time together. So what we're doing is we're doing uh, a time of fellowship, a time of meeting, a time of worship, and then sending everyone off with the feast dates, the Feast of Trumpets. Is that right, uh, Dr. Feast Stephen? Feast of Trumpets, that's correct. That's right, on Sunday. So we're going to have a really special celebration and then send you all off home. Dr. P is multitasking. He's going to be leading worship. He's going to be leading the meeting. We've got a small separate team helping in the background with the music, etc. But we really want to see you there, and we've done it so that... Uh, we've got a beautiful village hall in two different uh, locations, Cambridge and where are based in Rugby, Warwickshire. And you can just walk around the area. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. It's picturesque. It's very close to Allthorpe where Lady Diana was buried. So there's so much to do if you're not around, if you're wanting to go and sightsee. So I just wanted, while we're here all together, to say the 22nd to the 24th of September, has been dedicated for a time of the UK Sefer family, whether you're in Scotland or in Ireland, this is an in-person gathering, they can't do it in Scotland and Ireland. So which, whoever of you can come and make it to either the Cambridge event or to the rugby event, you're very welcome. We're looking to do baptisms as well. We've got about 15 to 20 requests. Um, you know how UK halls and so on have a lot of red tape, but we can get past that 
we're going to be doing baptisms. Uh, and thank you for your interest. I'm just trying to now get it all together so we know exactly what we're going for. But we're going for a village hall for those of you uh, based in the UK. So you know that that means we can have more people and it's less of an expense, but also we can have more time together. So I just wanted to remind you to of this and to contact me, contact Stephen, and so we know you know that we're catering for you and we're planning everything now. And that's really it. That's all I wanted to say, but we're really looking forward to this. It's going to be a really special, special time. We are, we are as well, Jessica. And, and if you don't mind, I'd like to include our trip in, in the prayers today. Yeah. Last time, uh, last time we were there in the UK, uh, it was during the pandemic and, you know, Cheryl was traveling separately and so I was required to quarantine for 14 days up near Cambridge. And, you know, we, we quarantined for 14 days, spending 14 days in a small room so that I could come out and make trips to, you know, Beckles. And we traveled to Scotland then too as well. But the, uh, the thing is, is that it was when we tried to meet outside of Cambridge and we went to a restaurant to meet and the waiter was like, nope, you cannot we were sitting at four different tables and I wanted to yes. talk from this table to that table. He said, you cannot talk to that table, mm. but he says, if you talk to that table, I will report you and you will be deported from Britain. Yeah. So we literally had to go outside the restaurant and be able to sit outside in order to talk. It was such a foolish, ridiculous rule, but we didn't get the opportunity to spend much time with each other or to talk or to do anything else because of all these crazy regulations. And I just want to continue to pray that this kind of thing is not going to rise again. Now, it doesn't look like it's going to because the world is rising up against all of this. So I think the world has had enough. Ask the people in Sri Lanka that just overthrew the government this morning. Uh, yeah. the, world is, the world has had enough and they're not going to go down this path again. Uh, and so, but I want to continue to pray that Yah would bless our trip, that yeah. all the things would come together the way they're supposed to come together. We have a lot of mission to do. It's going to be a very busy schedule, but uh, it's going to be an important schedule that we bring what? A word of peace to Britain, a word of peace to Britain. And in fact, if there, if there was ever a name for the tour, it's going to be the word of peace. Tour. Right. Devar Shalom. Devar Shalom. Well, thank you, Jessica. And thank you for announcing that. We're, we're greatly looking forward to it. Greatly looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, got but when you pray, people from Portugal are wanting to come over, uh, a small fellowship from Portugal. Uh, the PCR test still stands over there and they have to have proof that they've not had COVID for so long. So that's the only thing that will hold them back. But just to pray, because we've got Portugal, we've got Gabrielle and her family. In faith, she went and booked the ticket yesterday. So she's coming, whether the event was booked or not, she's here for that week. So, you know, it's great. It's all booked now. So we're just waiting to get everyone in. Let me know who's coming and then we can start working on everything else. But we're really excited. Thanks, Stephen. Okay, thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Okay, Felix, Melissa, how are you guys doing? Great, Dr. Hi. P. Hi, how are you? Very good, very good. It's great. It's um, great. We just had a quick question. Um, we have a calendar here. Uh, we we typically use our uh, the Sefer app, you know, oh. to, and then we have our uh, library hey. that we have for the. Um, I'm for doing a meeting today, right now. Um, our calendar that we have uh, from our Messianic uh, congregation has us reading. Um, 
the Torah portion for this week is uh, statutes, which is uh, Numbers uh, 19 at, uh, through, anyway, and then yours uh, is showing that we're reading um, tribes or journeys. I, I can't pronounce the Hebrew. I don't want to watch it. But um, at any rate, I'm just wondering how you uh, determine, I, I know it's a calendar question, but I'm just I, I have a. It's okay because it's a good question. And our tour portion, we've talked about this. Uh, uh, you know, Jonathan Netslop is handling the the, port, uh, the publishing of our tour portion, and our tour portion is different from uh, other tour portions around the world. And we use a very straightforward approach, which is we begin the tour portion, you know, on uh, following uh, Simcha Torah, the end of Sukkot, and we just proceed through the tour portion. Okay. And uh, so it's very straightforward and we're just going to read all the way through the Torah. And, uh, and this was the division initially set up by Ezra. So it's in the back of the Yom Kodesh. We'll tell you the next portion that's coming and that's the best way to do it. And um, the Yom Kodesh is going to be upgraded at the end of next year. Uh, and it will be a much more extensive calendar. And I'm going to spend a lot more time in the preface on the Yom Kodesh on the calendar, because I think it's fair to give, everybody else's calendar view uh, some airtime, right? Because everybody has a view on the calendar. And I think it's important that we discuss those things, whether we're talking a 30-day, 360-day calendar or 364-day calendar or, or the 365-plus-day calendar, whatever the calendar may be. I am going to discuss that in the preface and spend a little time with it so that people can at least have some understanding and I think it's important too, and this is a point that was raised to me last week too about um, about the issue on the flat Earth. You know, on the flat Earth, you know, my personal feeling is that uh, people have the right to disagree with one another. Okay, reasonable minds can disagree, but we have to be reasonable in our disagreement with one another. I may hold a view that says I believe in the Second Second Amendment and I believe it in an unstrident way. You might say, well, I believe in the Second Amendment, but I think there should be restrictions. Okay, it's a per per perfectly reasonable view and it's a disagreement between us, but there's no reason why we can't have disagreements between us and still love one another as brothers and sisters in the fellowship, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, th this is, I think this is a very important part because for a lot of people, who are in the flat earth movement are finding themselves as orphans now. And no one should be an orphan, particularly if you're a confessor of the name of Yahweh, Yahusha. You should not be an orphan who's out wandering around going, I have no fellowship, because we should be a fellowship that is warm and accommodating in that respect. And other people are worried about maybe the extent of their sins in their life. You know, I've got too much sin to be in that fellowship or this other, the other thing. We'll all have sinned and fall short of the glory of Yah. That's true. And, you know, if somebody, there is no one here that is perfect. And if somebody came along into our lives with a microscope and started doing a microscopic exam, they'd find stuff that was stinky and smelly and that no one else would want to hear about or know about or anything else. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not right for uh, people in the group to condemn other people's uh, falling away and other people's failings because we all have them. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't look to the Torah for reproof and look to scripture for a pattern of life and the way that we should follow and what we should do. And right now, I think it's really, really important for us to 
uh, emerge out of the, you know, when, when we were first new in this movement, there was a lot of discussion. Well, we know the calendar is wrong. So which calendar is right? Okay. Well, there's been a lot of argument. There continues to be a lot of discussion on it, but I think a lot of stuff is being understood now so that, you know, people can say, well, this is my position. Okay. Well, you don't have to, you can explain it if you want, but you don't have to, because once the position is clearly understood, well, then it's understood and people either accept it or they don't. And, uh, but we're in such a time right now, we're in a time that is like no other in the history of mankind, except maybe the time of Noah. And given that situation, we need to concentrate on the narrow path. We need to concentrate because remember, you, you walk that path alone. You might be married and you might, and the two of you might be in, in beautiful fellowship together, but you still walk that path alone. And you have a wall of fire on one side and you got an ocean on another and there's 200 mile an hour winds trying to blow you off the path. And what today's Torah portion shows, you know, this idea of Matthew 24, talking about the persecution that will come against the believers. Well, this persecution is coming. I mean, it's already in Canada, hard and heavy, but the persecution is coming. And with this persecution that comes, why do we want to spend time? And, you know, it's like, well, why are you being persecuted? Well, I'm being persecuted because I took a position on a calendar that was unacceptable, right? I'm being persecuted because I was known as a flat earther. Do you want that to be your testimony or do you want your testimony to be, I'm being persecuted because I stood up for the blood of Mashiach? Yes. Right. Amen. And so this is the gospel we need. We need to attend to the gospel. We talked about this last night at fellowship, that the mysteries of the gospel are intense. We were looking at, at the book of Ephesians, the mysteries of the gospel, the mysteries of the Besorah. These are intense mysteries. And when you start looking at these intense mysteries, I mean, you have, you know, I, I'll give you an example. When Peter says that to Yah, his day is a thousand years to us. Well, you know, that's a statement in quantum mechanics, right? That's a statement in quantum physics, yeah. right? And, you know, and it's the same thing when John says, and the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Okay, you show me the scientific process of having the word be made flesh, right? And so you see these things that are like incredible mysteries in the Gospels. And the teaching in John 17, when I, you know, I did the presentation on the life of the soul, showing that John 17 is really instructive at showing us the life of the soul, that knowing the father and the son and the son whom he sent is sufficient to obtain eternal life, even if you don't have the name correct, even if you don't know the name, if you know the father and the son, you have eternal life. But when you know the father and the son, you take on an entirely new level of the soul. The soul becomes neshama. You take on an entirely new level of the soul. The soul, and finally, what? What does Mashiach say at the end of the prayer? I have declared your name unto them, and will declare it that the love of you, that is in me, might be in them. So, how much love of the Father was in the Son? Do you think? All of it. All right. right. And by declaring the name of Yahweh to your fellow believer, to your brother and sister, the love of Yah is transferred to that person. All of the love of Yah is transferred. This is what the teaching is. And this is Yachad, Yachad, this ultimate statement of oneness. So yes, 
it's possible to have salvation. But it's also possible to know the name, and it's also possible to be one with Yah and to be in full blooming flower. You know, it's one thing to have your flower in the garden. It's another thing to be a full blooming flower, right? And to be a full blooming flower in this life. So anyway, so but anyway, so that's the story on the Torah portion. So thank you. Know, you. Uh, thank you. Trust thank me you. that by the end of the year, you're, you will have gone through all of it. We're yes, not, yes. I'm happy for that. I have one more quick. Uh, the next holiday or the next observance on the calendar that I just mentioned was the the fast of Tammuz. Do you have anything to say about that? Do you? I mean, well, on the fasting we talk about. I've included the fast schedules in the Yom Kodesh because fasting is a meaningful part of the walk. It really is. Yes. And you see it like in, in um, not in what in the Western church, it's not taught or practiced, but or I shouldn't say that, but in the Western Roman church, it's not taught or practiced. But in the Eastern church, it is a huge part of their ministry. I mean, they fast probably 30 percent of the days of the year they're fasting. I mean, they have these huge fasting schedules. And of course, we're called the fasting and prayer. I mean, this is what Mashiach did in the wilderness you know, in Luke four. And so when we're, when we're called to fasting and prayer, you know, when you look at Luke four, you see the example that he ate nothing, right? And not only that, he drank nothing for 40 days. And you think about that kind of a fast, right? That's a miraculous fast. Uh, but we're called to fast. And you can look at Isaiah, what is it? I think it's Isaiah 57 talks about the fasting ritual, which is not to uh, you know, put ashes on your forehead and walk and moan, walk around moaning to people. Gee, I'm hungry. <laughs> but you know, right? but the idea is to you know the fact that you're not eating is to share your food with others and to open your heart and to reconcile yourself to your loved ones. Right? Those things that are torn between you, reconciled to your loved ones. Right? And so this is the kind of fasting even for this fast in the month of Tammuz which I think it's, it's from the book of Nehemiah, I think. But in that fasting, that's what you would do. I mean, it's, a good, it's good to have the discipline of not eating. You know, for many Americans in particular, uh, food is God, you know. And it's a, it's a nonstop ritual. And the problem is that, you know, in America, I mean, you know, who was I talking to the other day? They were, they were flying, oh, my sister-in-law. She was flying home from Europe. And when she was in Europe, she's going around and everybody in Europe is thin. And because you know what? In Europe, there are no drive-through places to eat, right? You can't drive through and get food and then be sitting there with a hamburger in one hand and your cell phone in the other, driving with your knee, right? <laughs> like we do in America. That doesn't happen. There's no drive-throughs in Europe at all, period. You want to eat, get out of your car and go in and then you can eat. And they don't serve the portions that we get in America. You know, I, mean, I remember going to a, a restaurant in Bellevue and it was called the Mediterranean Grill. Well, I mean, I love Mediterranean food, but you know, when you, when you have Mediterranean food, they serve you, you know, you get a little hummus, you get some pita, you get uh, uh, some cucumbers and, and diced tomatoes, you know, you might you get some pickles maybe. Uh, these guys, this guy brought me out. I said, well, give me this platter here. This guy brought out a platter that was so huge. I ate dinner that night and took it home and my family ate on that same dish for two days. It was just, I mean, it's like, you really expect a single person to eat that amount of food. What, you know, what is this, you know? 
Anyway, they think that the massive food portion somehow makes them a successful restaurant. But the truth is that we overeat in America and the expectation, and not only do we overeat, but we eat the wrong food. You know, we're eating GMO food that has no nutrition and it looks good, big, tastes, it tastes kind of bland and there's zero nutrition in it. And so as a consequence, a fasting schedule is a big part of the life for the believer. And to, you know, I didn't put these fasts in as saying, these are rigid fasts, thou shalt not eat. But these are fasts that are scripturally relevant. They're set forth in scripture. They're mentioned. And if you want to observe those, those fasting days, you can. It's good for the soul. Because you know what? You terminate that worship of food, even if it's just for a few hours. You terminate that worship, right? Thank All right. Thank you, Dr. Thank you, Dr. P. Thank you. Thanks, Felix. Blessings to you guys. Okay, uh, Bethany, how are you? I'm, I'm okay. Thank you, Dr. P. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Uh, yeah. I, I had something to say about CERN, and I would like your take on it. So um, all that is going on right now with, the, with CERN and all the videos I've been watching, you know, everyone saying this and that. So I was, I was thinking about Matthew 27 and verse 51, where it says, um, at that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom, and I'm reading from the computer, not from your SFO. That's okay. Um, yeah. Um, was torn into from top to bottom. The earthquake and the rocks were split. So, and, and in Luke 23, 45, it says the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn down um, the uh, torn was torn down the middle. Uh, so I was wondering, with all these, whatever you call it, the laser beams that, that they are penetrating the um, universe with, will the, universe, uh, will the veil of the universe tear with that? And then we see all this, what is mentioned in the book of Revelation and elsewhere in the, like in Ishayahu uh, uh, and some other uh, prophecies. Are we going to see that? because of what they are doing with CERN? Well, okay, this oh, is a great oh, one question, thing, Bethany. One and more thing me... I just, just wanted to say. Um, well, not everybody knows this, but most of uh, us know that Sununas is what is the abbreviation for CERN. And it's also, uh, Sununas is also a spot on the Swiss-French border. It's a place where the sun was constructed. So that is what I learned. And I just want to bring that up. Okay. Well, you know, again, we were talking last night, we were talking about the mysteries of the gospel and how intense are those mysteries. Now I'll give you an example. When we were reading in Ephesians, the passage in Ephesians was saying that, you know, that Mashiach had ascended into heaven. But how is it that he ascended, but that he first descended to the lower parts of the earth, and then he ascended above all the heavens? Yeah. And so we had, I don't know, six different versions of the Bible there. And I was asking people, okay, what's your say? Does it say all the heavens in yours? And in literally every English edition, it said all the heavens, plural. Well, 
What is Paul talking about all the heavens? Why is that plural? Why would Paul mention that? Well, you know, and Paul discusses in another passage, Paul, he discusses in another passage where he says, I know a man who ascended to the third heaven, right? The third heaven, all of a sudden you have this discussion by Paul about multiple heavens and about how Mashiach ascended above all of these heavens. So what is going on here? Well, what is going on here, if you read the Ascension of Isaiah, which is an extra scriptural book, but a very important book, the Ascension of Isaiah, talks about 10 heavens. Third Baruch, which we did not include in the Sefer, talks about seven heavens. Yeah. Well, you have this kind of distinguishment between seven heavens and 10 heavens. And the same way that we have this distinguishment in, in our solar system, we have three planets, Mercury, uh, Venus, and, and the Earth, which when you observe Venus and Mercury in a telescope, you can see them orbiting around the sun. And, but when you observe the planets that are to the other side of the Earth, you know, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, you know, these appear to have kind of an inordinance in their orbit. In other words, there's a point where they go like this. You're observing them, then all of a sudden they move backwards, right? And they have discussions scientifically as to why that happens. But the point is, is that there are seven to the back side of us, and we constitute three in the front, right? So, and there were originally 10 planets, not nine. One of them has been blown up by an asteroid belt, and it's still in its orbit. But when you see that, you know, we have this kind of reflection, if you will, in the solar system of these 10 heavens. Now, these planets aren't the 10 heavens, but they are reflective of the idea of this 10 heavens. And one uh, scientist who was a non-believer back in 2014 began to analyze uh, the stones of Stonehenge up there in uh, southwestern Britain. And as he analyzed the stones, he found out, people would say, oh, well, that's a pagan site that was used for human sacrifice on the vernal equinox, and that Stonehenge predicts the vernal equinox. Categorically false. Stonehenge does not predict the vernal equinox at all. And it doesn't look like there was pagan sacrifice going on. So what are these stones about? Well, he took the time to map the stones in detail. And as he did, he found that once he looked at everything there possible, he found that, first of all, there were 10 circles evidenced by the, by the stones, and those stones evidenced an algorithm, a specific algorithm. So he's looking at this, he's going, okay, well, look, when I map all this out, guess what? I get this algorithm that is expressed here in Stonehenge. So big deal. So he starts telling his scientific buddies, hey, look, I found this algorithm in Stonehenge. What can you make of it? Well, the guys applied the algorithm to the known orbits of the 10 planets and the algorithm, which this guy didn't know existed, because what he discovered was that all of the orbits are in an algorithm to the sun. In other words, the orbits of the planets are not inordinate that this one happens to be here, that one happens to be here, that one happens to be here. They're in exactly a controlled place on a single algorithm that expresses their placement in the solar system exactly. And Stonehenge predicts it within three decimal points of accuracy. Now, this is a very interesting because this monument was erected around 1500 BC or older. So it appears to be an immediate antediluvian monument, which 
essentially says, this was the knowledge we had before the flood. Remember in the book of Jubilees, there's a passage talking about Canaan, who was the son of Shelach. Now, this, this name Canaan does not appear in the Tanakh. When you look at the, at the litany of the, of the fathers, there's no discussion of Canaan. In, in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, in Genesis, wherever you have the litany of the discussion of the tribes, this name Canaan is omitted. But you know where we find it? Luke 3. In Luke 3, there's this discussion of Canaan. Well, what is Luke doing putting in Canaan in, in Luke 3? Why is this name there? All of a sudden, and, and when you read the commentaries of John Calvin and Wesley and everybody else who was commenting on this passage, they say, just ignore it. We don't know. Just leave it out. Forget it. Just ignore it. We don't, we're not going to talk about it. Well, at the Sefer, we found out where this name Canaan was from, and it's from the book of Yovhelim or Jubilees, chapter 8. And in chapter 8, it talks about Canaan, the son of Shelach, who found on a stone ancient writings that were antediluvian. They were pre-flood writings, and they were the writings of the fallen watchers. And it says he translated that and sinned owing to that. And this is part of the reason why his name was excluded from the names of the fathers, because he had sinned in, in finding the teachings of the watchers written on stone. So it appears that whoever built uh, Stonehenge had knowledge that was antediluvian knowledge, and he wanted to express it. They wanted to express it in these stones saying, this is what we knew at the time of the flood. We knew the exact position and orbit of all 10 planets expressed in this single algorithm that we're expressing in these stones here. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you, have you guys figured that out yet? When did we figure it out? 2014. 2014 is when it was finally determined that's what was there. So when you see this now, now we start talking about, okay, well, take a look at this idea that to Yah, uh, a day is a thousand years on earth. Okay, now this is an algorithmic expression too, expressing the difference between the dimension in which we live and the dimension where Yah dwells. Now, what I was trying to explain to the group is that we live in a dimension that is specific to frequencies. We hear from 20 to 20,000 hertz. We see in a range around one nanohertz, plus or minus a couple hundred thousand. Uh, gigahertz, okay? But we, we see around one nanohertz. Our experience in the material world is light moving at a specific frequency, okay? When you look at, when you look at what is uh, matter, when you, if you put your fingertips together and you put that under a microscope, you would see that nothing but nothing is touching. In fact, what, uh, what Chuck Misler used to teach, he said, if you, if you had, a, if you're looking at an atom and the nucleus is the size of the tennis ball, its first electron is seven football fields away, proportionally speaking. And so when you get into a subatomic microscope, you're not seeing anything touching. What is touching is the, uh, is the electromagnetic impulses from each other. That's what you're experiencing. So when we look at matter, the matter, the material world that we see is nothing more than the light, which was created by Yah, cutting through the darkness. Now, again, these things, this is the stuff that's expressed in scripture. This is why scripture does include quantum mechanics. When John says the light 
cut through the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. This is an incredible statement because the light going through the darkness does not attach to the darkness, nor does it alter the darkness. It just cuts through it. So, you know, all of this becomes really kind of critical because the darkness, we're talking about dark matter, and Nassim Harriman, who uh, has become a believer in a creator accidentally through uh, studying quantum mechanics, he said, look, dark matter has so much energy in it that there's one, excuse me, 10 to the 92nd power ergs in one square centimeter of dark matter. Now, you recall in the passage in Genesis, it opens up with Vamer Elohim, Yahi Or, Vayahi Or. And this is translated as, and then spoke Elohim, let there be light, and there was light. But that's not what's being said there at all. Because you have this yahi. Now, Strong's will try to tell you, oh, that's haya, you know, he, yod, he. But it's not. It's yahi, yod, he, yod. In fact, here, I'll just show you this. Let me see if I can, let me see if I can pull this up for us this morning. Because we can see it. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Because you're going to see that, in fact, they don't have this word defined. They don't have this word defined. And as a consequence, we are misled into thinking that, I'll pull that up. Okay, now let me go back here. Okay, so I'm going to share this screen here and we'll take a look at ESORD. Okay. Okay, so you guys can see that ESORD? Okay, now the passage we're looking at is we're going to be looking at this passage right here. Okay. So Genesis 1, 3. Now, if you look at this, this reads, Vayamer, Vayamer, Elohim. Yahi or, Vayahi or. Okay? Now, look at this word or. or. Excuse me, this word here. They tell us this word is Haya. You see down here? They're telling us, oh, yeah, that's spelled he yod he. But when you look at the word up here, that's not how it's spelled. It's spelled yod he yod. Now, they're not giving us this word. Strong's will not give you that word. They're going to say, oh, well, no, haya. That's, that's haya. It's not yahi. Well, from my point of view, it's yahi. That's clearly what's written there. Well, what would Yahi mean? Well, take a look. When you talk about this idea of Yod, He, Yod, we in the Hebrew class know that the Yod can be a suffix, a pronominal suffix. Right here, this is a pronominal suffix. This is the word Yah. And then it has the pronominal suffix of the yod, meaning my, right? So you might understand this word as my I am, my I am. But a better way to understand that would be my essence, my essence. And remember that there is no is in the Hebrew language. And as a consequence, there is no was either. So this passage could really read, Vayamer, Elohim, and then spoke Elohim, 
my essence was light and my essence is light. Okay, well, this is before the sun was created. So what light are you talking about? You're not talking about sunlight. So you must be talking about something like protons or something else. Something that is the essence of Yah, which is light. And this light would now divide the dark matter. It would come through the dark matter. The light divided the matter. The light shone through the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Well, what did it show through the darkness? It showed through the darkness these magnificent expressions, these fractal expressions of intense, multidimensional equations that then created matter. What we look at and see as matter, we see it in particular forms, particular shapes, particular colors, but it really is nothing more than the light shining through the darkness. This is what it is, okay? So, all right. So with that being done, I'm going to stop the share here. So when you see CERN, now CERN thinks that it's going to come out and say, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and put together this Hadron Collider, and we're going to collide uh, inf infinitesimally small subatomic particles to see if we can find the particle that was the essence of creation. They think they can find the God particle. That's what they're looking for. And if they find the God particle, they intend to destroy it. Okay, this is this is why it's Luciferian, right? And of course, they're absolutely ignorant because they don't realize that their so-called God particle was created by Yah too, all of it. Okay, so when we start speaking about this kind of dimensional stuff, what you know, when people ask me about my cosmological view, I really haven't expressed it, but I'll tell you what it is now. I kind of believe that there is what what, what I call a manifold which is to say when you look into a subatomic particle uh, uh, microscope, you see things that conspicuously look like the solar system. You know, you've got this sun in the middle, and then you have these planets, they call electrons, orbiting around it. Well, so my, my view on this is when where science tells us, well, if you look out in the universe, that's trillions of light years away. This one's billions of light years away, and that one that's even farther is trillions of light years away. Well, that assumes that everything is constant. But what if it is a manifold that wraps around? We see the macro out here, and it wraps around into the micro. And so it's not trillions and billions of light years away at all. It could be infinitesimally small distances, but we're seeing it as light years away because it's a wrapped around manifold. It wraps around, you know, that the micro is the macro. Now, if the micro is the macro and somebody is splitting an atom, what happens in the universe we see? Stars get destroyed, you know? Oh, gee, well, we just saw a star burn out. Yeah, could it be that you guys destroyed that star in your, in your uh, you know, electron mag uh, microscope? And so these people that are messing around in CERN, they don't know anything what they're doing. They're trying to find the God particle and destroy it because they're Luciferian maggots, in my opinion. And the parade that they ran through the tunnel says all you need to know about them. At the, if you go back and watch that full video of that parade, when they have believers, faith believers, on wagons being hauled off for execution by gnomes and by goats, right? 
then you get to the end of it, and they have this, believe me, all the world leaders were sitting there on bleachers watching this last bit of the production. And who was leading the parade through the tunnel? The Baphomet. You know, half, half man, half goat, half woman, half man, right? Half male, half female. The one that has the, uh, that has the caduceus as genitalia, the twisted double, the double serpent, right? This beast was leading the parade. Then at the end, you see this recreation of they're showing the rapture. So angels are coming down and the bride is all dressed up in white, preparing for the rapture, all dressed up in white. And as the bride is prepared, you know, it's a group of women who are saying we're the bride and they're preparing to be raptured up this, this thing in the back with the angels. And as they're preparing to be the raptured, the Baphomet seduces all of the women and is laughing. Now, the Baphomet, you know, was the god of the Knights Templar. The Knights Templar were destroyed by Henry I of France and who stole all their money and tried to take all their land. The Knights Templar reformed in two places. One was in in, uh, Scotland where they formed the Masonic uh, Presbyterian, excuse me, Scottish Rite Masonic Order in Scotland. And the other group reformed in Switzerland where they continued their banking practices. This is why the Baphomet is the god of Switzerland. And this is why the Baphomet was exalted in that tunnel. And this is who they serve. They serve the Baphomet. They serve Lucifer. And the Baphomet, by the way, uh, is, uh, you know, is a fallen watcher. Okay. So when you talk about CERN, what is CERN going to do? Nothing. They're going to try to, they're going to try to find the God particle and try to destroy it. And what's going to happen to CERN is that it's going to burn up. Because Yah is destroying the pagan altars in high places right now. Right. You know, I was watching a video this morning of the Traco that knocked down the Georgia Guidestones. Yeah. And I told, well, I was talking to Virginia and I told Virginia, I said, Virginia, wouldn't you like to be the guy driving that Traco? Hey, <laughs> let's see how we're going to do. <laughs> Boom. Oh, yeah. Ah, that was a good hit. Let's try this one. Boom. Oh, yeah. That one went down. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, let's and then, then take the hole and bam, 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 break up each of the stones so you can get it into the dump truck, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a that would be a very uh, pleasing thing to do. At any rate, the stones are gone, and then an, an Egyptian obelisk just got hit by lightning last night. Yah is destroying the high places because Yah's judgment is now coming upon the earth. And you can, I'm telling you, when we were talking about it Friday on Jesse's show. You know, which other we're calling the screw turns. The screw has turned. People are saying, "That's it. We're not doing it anymore." Yeah. The uh, uh, on the Russian chronicles, the Russians have put up a picture of six of the seven world leaders, including Joe Biden and Olaf Scholz and Macron, Emmanuel Macron, and Boris Johnson. And you got a line through Boris Johnson, and it says, "Okay, we're taking bets on who's next, right? Because all six of those leaders are going down. So, so much for CERN." And CERN will, CERN will be destroyed. It's going. It's an artifact of, of a time that is going to be, you know, you remember, I don't know if you remember, you know, you go back to like uh, the, the show Back to the Future, right? The DeLorean, when that show was made, the DeLorean was the hot car, right? It's not anymore. It's not even a collectible. I mean, most people don't aren't, aren't interested in a DeLorean, uh, you know, at all. But during the 1980s, that was the thing. And it's the same thing with CERN. This is going to be an artifact of the past that's going to be smiled at in the future. Okay. Okay.
It's okay, like, like uh, today's uh, modern-day uh, Tower of Babel. Yeah, it's Tower of Babel. And I'll yeah. tell you, the Tower of Babel that's in the EU, yeah. that the EU has built in Brussels, that's going to come down too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. This, uh, the EU is coming down, and its Tower of Babel is coming down. And, you know, the uh, uh, you would think that somebody would be uh, using some critical reasoning, but, man, we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. And uh, what did they say today that uh, our president has 16% approval rate right now? 16%. And, you know, and the only reason those people are approved is because, you know, they, they, uh, they haven't left the marijuana clinic yet. No, it's just a joke. It's a joke. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks to you. Okay. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, let's say... How are you, brother? Dr. Pigeon. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Um, uh, following your joke, you might be without a country soon. Maybe you are going to be a Russian soon because Putin won the Alaska back. Well, I saw that. Yeah, they put up a flag. I think they put up, I'm trying to remember where they put that up, that that said, and I thought it was really cool, quite frankly. Here, let me share, let me share the, uh, let me see if I can share a white screen for a second. We'll see what we can do. Uh, okay. Okay, we got whiteboard. You guys got it? Yes. Okay. So, so what he put on, what he put up was they put up, they put up the al, right? And then, of course, they had this. Okay. And then they had this. Okay, so this was what was written on the flag, right? Now, if you if you know Russian, you know that this word here, which is the last letter of the Russian alphabet, is ya. Okay? And it means wow. I. It means I, right? And then the C, of course, is like the Samic in Hebrew, S. Right. And then the K-A. And then, of course, this L is this is uh, like a Lamed or but it's like a Greek L. So this is L. And so this is A. And then this is K and A. And then the N, uh, the H is N and A. And then this is Sh. And then A. Right. So wow. this word here is Alyaska. Okay. Now I got to tell you, I was greatly blessed by this, greatly blessed by this. And then Nasha. And, and basically what this means is Alaska is ours in Russian. Alaska is ours. That's what this flag means. And I wrote back to them and said, Nyet Zanyoto, no occupied. Right. Anyway, that's a very famous Russian phrase. But anyway, but see, in Alaska, we have uh Hold on just a second. I'm going to make room here. We'll just take out the hour part. No, no, no. You're not yours. In Alaska, we spell the the Denina expression for Alaska is spelled like this. So the Denina would say Alyeska, Alyeska. Okay. And then the 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 foreigners up here, you know, the immigrants, the white immigrants, Alyeska. Oh, that's Alyeska. Right. Well, no, it's not Alyeska. And the key is, is this right here. 
okay? Because you can see that the Russians are spelling this with ya. You see that? Okay, Alyaska. Yeah, Alyaska. Okay, all right. Okay, very cool. Now, so when we take a look at that, let's just let's just keep going. If you don't, if you, I know that's a little bit of a side, but look, when we look at the word Al, Aleph. How time have we seen that? Right, yeah. Al, and then of course we have Alya, right? And then yes. we're going to have the Samic, right? And then yes. the uh, Samic, and then uh, Kof, Alyaska. Oh, excuse me, Samic. Uh, pardon me. Uh, wait a minute, I got that wrong. Just a second. Samic cough, and then he. And of course, this is going to be with a patach, a furtive patach, right? And in here, patach. So, al yaska. Okay. Al yaska. So, upon yas place. Upon, wow. right? This is upon. Al. Upon Ya. Upon Ya's place. Al Yaska. Wow. Yeah. So I can tell you that this, you know, we are holding the position, taking the position that Alaska is sacred ground. People here aren't sacred, not in any respect. But the place is sacred. And it is up to us to restore its sacredness. So, yeah, they, so they say Alaska, Alaska, Nasha. And I say to them, Niet Zanyuto. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right? Okay, my brother John Barr was here. He joined in the conversation. He could give us a little bit of his own Russian tips. Okay, Ola, say, hey, thanks for being such a great teacher. Thank you. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, all right I'm, like I'm going to keep going because I, I don't want to put everybody off here. And then, and then we're, then we're going to spend a little time in prayer. Alicia, how are you? Alicia? I'm here. You can, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Oh, sorry. Sorry about uh, being late. So I've written you... Uh, hello, everyone. I wrote you a couple times an email about the book of, is it Amok or Amos? Is it Amok? Amos. 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 Yeah. Amos. Okay. And the reason it's spelled with a C is because we use, it's spelled with a Samic. And the Samic is construed as a C as in cement. Okay. 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 All right. Amos. So Okay, so I decided, I know you're super busy, and I decided, well, just start studying. And I found something interesting, and I wanted your feedback. Um, well, I just started just in the first chapter, and I found something interesting about in verse 5, where it talks about this house of Eden. And, <clears throat> of course, I went on a rabbit trail and there was a woman in 19, sorry, I have to get my notes here, uh, 19, um, sorry, 
1939, she was an archaeologist and she published her work in a book called The Stone Age of Mount Carmel. And you can see this entire book on archive.org. But what her, uh, well, their conclusion on page 370, I quote, the conclusion we have come to is that we are dealing with two types of humanity. And the, also there was something um, where the Catholic Church has built a monastery back in uh, 1150. And we all know the Catholics like to build over things they don't want seen and she had shown pictures of the skulls from these uh these she she said it was a different type of humanity never at uh, mount carmel yes yeah on the southwest slopes are caves where archaeologists found in 1931 and 1932 stone age human skeletons of a type previously unknown and so that got me on a rabbit trail and I, I looked at the skulls and they protruded on the back. If you were to put the, your hand on the back of your head, it sticks way out. And so on my yeah, rabbit those skulls, are at, Alicia, those skulls are actually, uh, you know, I saw some uh, video footage from L.A. Marzulli. And he spent some time in Peru. Now, of course, you know, they have what are called uh, pre-Columbian artifacts. And pre-Columbian artifacts are uh, anything in the Latin American world that existed before Columbus arrived in 1492. Uh So they're called pre-Columbian artifacts. And international law is absolutely rigid on on the handling of pre-Columbian artifacts. In other words, you can't go down to Peru and take stuff out of Peru or right. out of Colombia or, yeah, or everything else. I'm very familiar with his works and stuff. Um, yeah, and he found, you know, that the pictures he found, he went into a cave, he was shown a cave, and he went in and found found this cave littered with, uh, you know, skeletons. Right. And these skeletons all had these elongated skulls with different sutures in the, in the, in the, in the skull. And that's yeah. one of the critical features, that the sutures are totally different than human sutures in the skull. And it's not possible to flatten the head out uh, above the eyebrow and do that thing with the brain. It's just not possible. It doesn't happen in a human being. Yeah. So it's not something you can put a board on the top of your head, like some archeologists might imagine. Right. It was in fact, what the situation was is that you were seeing evidence of a different species. Now, well, I, I get all that. And I, I, this was the rabbit trail I went on, but I have a question about these, these scientists that claim, you know, uh, she, she said they were, you know, stone age. Well, in her mind, they're 30,000 years old. Right. Well, I, I disagree with that, but I have a question on it. It's kind of off track, but is it possible that the fallen watchers mated with animals created the dinosaurs and that is partly why Yah destroyed the earth is this is written in the book of giants okay now the book of giants i mean you have the book of hanok and hanok it follows down and gives us details about what's set forth in genesis 6 4 and a lot of people want to debate that and say oh no that was just the sons of seth well no it wasn't 
they were fallen watchers and the fallen watchers had left their estate to come in order to procreate with human beings. And this was done out of jealousy because they did not have the estate that mankind was given and they wanted that estate and they came down and began to mate with women. And this is really what's going on. This is the big feature of heaven right now is that these watchers are, are trying to get back to a superior status by eliminating mankind. And uh, so this is what's going on on the earth today. But the book of giants, which was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's a fragment. And so the fragment is, uh, well, it's not complete, it's a fragment. However, there have been some researchers that have looked at the fragment and they'll give you the whole fragment and then fill in the cracks, if you will, to complete the sentences. And the book of giants indicates that in fact, the watchers did have relations with animals. It wasn't just human beings that they had relations with animals and they created, you know, giant animals as well that uh, were killing mankind. And, you know, when you read, uh, when you read about the grievousness of what was going on, these giants were eating human beings and humanity was not going to survive. And in some of the cases, I mean, Enoch describes these giants as huge, 300 feet, you know, and we see evidence that on the earth prior to the flood, there were things that were that big. And some people believe that the mesas, for instance, in Arizona and Southern Utah are actually stumps of trees, right? which would have put those trees at a thousand Mud feet. Mud fossils. Higher. Yeah. 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 And uh, so, I mean, you know, and, and of course there are people, you can look at this, you can go to uh, any search engine and pull up images of giants set in stone, right? Okay. That so- there are, there are stone formations that appear so human-like, right? That you look at them and it's like, gee, that sure does look like a human sat down here and was, you know, petrified, right? Yeah. And well, even in this book, you know, he says that they were as tall as the clouds. So, <laughs> uh, which I mentioned in, in you in my email. So my, my question was, is what is this house of Eden? And that led me, you know, to research a little bit, but one thing it did bring me to was Ezekiel 28. And I, I don't want to read it, but I would like if you could read Ezekiel chapter 28, 12 through 19. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. Are these the fallen watchers? And if it is. Yeah, okay. So here it is. Okay, let's read it. Uh, son of Adam, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tzor and say unto him, thus says Adonai Yahweh. Okay, now, so we talk about the king of Tzor here, you know, and again, this is, you know, one of the problems, in fact, let me just take a look real quick and I'll, I'll show you this. Let's go into, if you guys don't mind for a second, share screen again, and let's take a look at, um, uh, hello. Where is, so I'm trying to find Esword here and I'm not finding it here. Okay. No, that's not it. Where is well, he? the Israel Bible here. Center said it's not Satan and I don't believe him. <laughs> so. Oh, hold on here. Let me see if I can, <laughs> if I can share this screen here because you can see here. Okay. So this is Ezekiel and let's go to 28 and let's look at verse 12 because I'm going to show you what we're dealing with here. Okay. Okay, so you have Ben Adam, right? Son of Adam, right? Sa Kina Al 
Melech. Now you see this word right here? Uh-huh. Okay, so here you see Melech Zor. So this is translated as the king of Zor, right? Melech. So the, here they're telling us, oh, this is Melech. Why do why are they telling us this is Melech? Because the Masorites decided this was Melech. So you see here, you have the you have the Mem. Whoop, excuse me. And here under the Mem, they give us the Tseri. Then you have the Lamed. And under the Lamed, you also have the Tseri, the Segol, I'm sorry, Segol. And then the Chaf Safit and the Shabbat. So the Shabbat goes unpronounced, Melech. And this is, of course, a pan-ultimate pronunciation. Two segols, that means that the first syllable is pronounced. Okay, well, that's fine. But we know this is king, why? Because of these vowel sounds. Now, let's just take those vowel sounds out. Let's just take those out. And let's do this. Okay, since I'm going to play like I'm a Masoretic in the 8th century, and I'm going to say, no, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to put a patak and a chametz here. Now this becomes what? Malak. What is malak? Angel. Oh. Or messenger. So it's not king, it's angel or messenger. Now, if it's not king, now we're talking about the angel of Zor. Now, remember the angel. Okay, so now we're talking about the angel of Zor. Remember there was an angel overlooking uh, Persia that Michael was withstanding. You might yeah. remember this. Yeah. Okay, so now if we're not talking about the king of Zor, we're talking about the angel of Zor. Say unto him, thus says Adonai Yahweh, you seal up the sun full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the Garden of Elohim, and every precious stone was your covering. Now, here you see that this, this angel is covered with sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, gold. The workmanship of your tablets and your pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. Okay. You are the anointed carob that covers. Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about this angel. Now... Somebody said this is a king. Why would they say that when the context says you are a cherub? So why did they use the word king? Why did they use the word me melech? Lion yeah. scribes. That's you, it's a cherub. Right? All right. And it says you are the anointed cherub that covers. I have set you so you were upon the holy mountain of Elohim. Now, what's the holy mountain of Elohim? Which mountain was that? That was Harmon. Harmon, the holy mountain of Elohim, right? So when you talk about the holy mountain of Elohim, Harmon, this is Mount Hermon in the modern world. This is where Jacob's ladder was. This is where Mashiach went for his transfiguration. And this is where the fallen watchers came to the earth. This is what Enoch tells us, that the porthole that they used to come to the earth was at Mount Harmon, right? And so he says here, uh, it says, you, are the, you were upon the holy mountain of Elohim. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now what? 
You were perfect in your way. And by the way, the stones of fire is something you will find described in the book of Hanok. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence and you have sinned. Therefore, I will cast you out as profane out of the mountain of Elohim. And I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted by wisdom, your reason to brightness. Now, from my point of view, when you start talking about this being Satan, you know, I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that is because Satan means adversary. It means adversary. And there are 20 something places where it's interpreted in scripture as and Yah set up so-and-so as an adversary, right? But literally what's written there, set him up as ha-satan. So satan is actually an adversary. That's what the word means, adversary. This is talking about a particular carob, a particular angel, a particular carob that's talking about. You've defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your traffic. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of you, and it shall devour you. And I will bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you. And, and all that know you among the people shall be astonished at you, and you shall be a terror, and never shall you be any more. So this is a discussion about a particular carob, a particular fallen watcher. And most likely, and again, this is discussed as to who these watchers are in the book of Hanok. Okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, and again, you know, again, this is why when you look at when you look at the Ivri, you see that the Masoretic Nicodot is their opinion, and they did they did their best to try to give a pronunciation guide, but in their pronunciation guide, they enforced their opinion about what's written. But when you change just a few vowel sounds, all of a sudden you get a completely different story, and Melek the king, and Malak, and Molech, by the way. Molech, Malak, and Melech, they all come from this Mem, Lamed, Kof, Safid. They all come from that same root. So it's a question okay. of who put the vowels where to determine what's being said. Right. And this is why this distortion, you just have to be very careful about this distortion, okay? Uh, well, one, one other comment in, in going back to Amos chapter one, verse three, it talks about, um, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have thrashed eth Gilead. And I found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that it said, um, pregnant women of Gilead. I thought that was interesting. Uh, so what one day i hope you do a research on a uh, discussion on the on this book because i find it fascinating especially towards chapter uh verse yeah chapter eight and nine but um alicia you know, would, you, yeah. would you mind repeating the name of that book please uh the book the stone age one the one you said was on archive okay uh yes it's from archive.org and it is called the Stone Age of Mount Carmel, second volume, 1937 to 1939. And she was an archaeologist from uh, the UK, 
and joined up with the Americans okay. on that. Did you have a page number on that? Uh, well, her one comment on page 370, I quote, the conclusion we have come to is that we are dealing with two types of humanity. Okay. So, you know, my one of my concerns is that, are we talking about some fallen watchers there? You know, no, Alicia, of- I'll tell you, you're asking a great question. And I mean, and I have questions about it too. I mean, first of all, you know, all this stuff that comes from the carbon dating, you can't trust a word of it, right? I mean, there were, there were geologists from the U- University of Washington that took out a bunch of students and they were doing a dig. And they were saying, if you look at this layer here, you can see this is 10,000 years old. This is 20,000 years old. This is 30,000 years old. And then they came to a red PF flyer wagon. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, what is this? Well, it looks like your dating is like way off. There was a group of archaeologists that found a body uh, in the Swiss Alps buried in a glacier. And they said, oh, this body came from the crustacean period and blah, blah, blah. And he was obviously a you know, carnivore and on and on and on. And they brought the body into the museum. And they brought the body in the museum with this whole long litany about when he was from you know 10,000 years ago or whatever. And then somebody came up and said, that's my dad. He's been missing for three years. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, they, you know. Yeah, these guys are just so they're so out to lunch, you know, and so and, and carbon dating is just a guess, you know, it's a guess. And then they take the, the, the initial foundation of the guess and they extrapolate everything from the guess. Yeah. And so almost all of their dating is wrong. Uh, and you can kind of tell some things that are older than others. But usually I just kind of like take a pencil out and erase the zeros. So she says 30,000 years ago, then take that last zero out. And you might have a little bit more accuracy yeah. of 3,000 years ago. And if you go and you look at scripture, scripture is very clear that there were giants in the land at the time that the house of Yasharel was coming in. The sons of Anak, for instance, Numbers 1333. And, 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 and Numbers 1333, if somebody could put that in the chat, that'd be greatly appreciated. Numbers 1333 in the Sefer, by the way, is the only book where you will find this translated this way. Uh, But in this passage, you see it's written this way. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, which come of the Nephilim. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. Now, this is right. Now, let me read the verse that precedes that. In verse 1332, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched under the children of Yasharel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature or giants, right? So this is what they saw. They saw a different kind of humanity in the Holy Land. And... It's described with particularity. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, which come of the Nephilim. Now, I was in a discussion with L.A. Marzulli and Steve Benoon in, in Oregon, in a place called Candy, Oregon. And, you know, Stephen liked to put up the Hebrew next to the English to teach. And I said, okay, well, wait right there, Steve. Hold, just hold it. Let me show you something. He said, okay, well, here, I'll just, let's just look at it here today. Since we're doing the share screen, let's go to numbers 13 and we'll go to 1333. All right. So let me share this screen. And 
you guys can see for yourself. Okay, where are you? There it is. Okay, let me share it. Okay, so here we are. You guys can see this. Number is 13. Let's go to verse 33. Now, this was the passage we were looking at. So what we saw was, right? And so you see this idea, they, Shem, Ranu, et, what? Nephilim. Okay? Nephil. Now, they're telling us the root word here. Nephil. Now, when you look closely at this word, you will see here that you have this idea here of you have this noon, then you have the pay, or the fey in this case, then what? Yod. See that? Yod. Then Lamed, then Yod, and then Mem Safit. Okay, so the Yod Mem Safit, this is the plural, Im. But we have this idea of this yod here, nephilim, right? Beni, beni anach. So here's not enach, anach. Mean ha. Oh, this word's different. This word here now we have noon, pay, lamed. Wait a minute. What happened to that yod that was right there? Where's that yod? Oh, that's not there. And then, of course, we have this. Now, when you see this, this word here, nephilim. This word here, nephilim. It's missing this yod. Yeah. Why is it missing the yod? Well, I'm going to show you why. It says here, nephil, from 5307, right? From 5307, a feller, that is to say a bully or tyrant, i.e. a giant. So Nephilim means giants, tyrants, bullies, right? But what's 5307? Well, come on, you can pull it up. Let's go. Open it. Let's do it. 5307, come on. Well, okay, I'll just hover over it so you can see it. Nafal. Yeah. A primitive root meaning to fall in a great variety of applications, to be accepted, to be cast down, to die, to let fail, felling, fugitive, fugitive even, right? Okay, so what are we talking about with not falim? We're talking fallen ones, oh, fallen yes. ones, yeah. okay? So this was the point I was making to see Benun and to Eli Marzuli that you have two different words here. You have Nephilim here. The children. Nephilim here. Mm -hmm. And Nephilim here. The parents. <laughs> the parents. Basically, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. It's the parents. So what we see there is, because of that in Numbers 1333, you can see that there were tyrants, giants, bullies in the land who were the sons. It says Beni. Anak, mm -hmm. right? The sons of Anak. And right. Anak was Nafalim, right. a fallen one, right? And when you read about the sons of Anak, these were called the Anakim. And who were the sons of Anak? But Goliath and his brothers. 
were Anakim. Anakim. They were giants in the land. Okay. And you know that when David fought Goliath, Goliath was inordinate and in size. He was a different form of humanity. As was uh, Og, king of Bashan, a different form of humanity. Now, when you get into the Steve Quayle and that group, uh, they have been doing a lot of research on the giants because they believe the giants fled when the, when the two million people crossed the Jordan into the land where the giants were living in the land of Canaan, they fled. And they fled to the island of Sardinia, Sardinia, and they were in Sardinia for a while until the tribes began to emerge out in the Mediterranean. And then they fled from there. Okay. So, all right. So I got to leave it at that, Felicia. I got to go. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Catherine, how are you? Hello, Stephen. Hi. Um, I just wanted to give an update because I was very upset last week about my son. He's doing okay. Um, and I want to thank John again. Because if John hadn't blessed him with his bus transport money, he wouldn't have got there. Yeah, how's his eye doing? By John's kindness and lovingness, he actually saved my son's life just in time. Because if we hadn't have got that, that little blessing for David's transport, the doctors at Northampton General said he would have died. Because infection from the eye had and was so close to the brain. And once it had hit the brain, he, he wouldn't have had a chance. Yeah, well, that's that's an outstanding praise, Catherine. Outstanding. And um, I just want to encourage... How, how is he doing now? Uh, he's okay. He goes back on Monday. Um, he's, still, he's still having problems with his sight. But I'm praying for full recovery. Keep praying for full recovery. I'm finding it very difficult to hear you. There's something wrong with my phone. Yeah, that's David, correct? Yeah, that's David. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah. But I just want to thank John very, very much for his obedience to the Royal Kakadesh because... If John hadn't have intervened, I do believe, I strongly believe David would have lost his life. Well, well, and there's no greater gift to give to others than to save one's life. Um, so I just want to thank John and the fellowship again. You have made an impact for the kingdom of heaven. It has sowed a seed to my son like you cannot believe. Funny how little things like that work in those ways, isn't it? Yeah. My That's son keeps telling everybody, bless you. <laughs> I've never seen it. He's saying things like, what's God's name again, mum? Ganyahua. <laughs> And um, so it's had a big impact, somebody's kindness on his life. So um, I just want to encourage the body um, to give, because I give a lot and then I go without, but to, just to give and to love and to be kind, because 
You never know, you could save a life without knowing it. And um, those who save lives, I believe will get a beautiful blessing in heaven. The simple small things like bus money, transport, made such a difference. It saved somebody's life. And I, I think it's something we've all got to take on board. Just unconditional love for the others in the body. Well, you know, I'll tell you, Catherine, when you talk about that, you know, there are a couple of people associated with this fellowship who are going mm. to go unnamed that are suffering, you know, massive economic difficulties mm. as, as in being unable. And, uh, you know, if people are interested in helping those people, uh, contact me and let me know. Okay. I'll just leave it. I there. think we should have something. Um, a little pot to help one another out now and again. I mean, I think we should have a little pot. I'm not saying tithe because I, I don't know whether that's scriptural or not. But well, you know, the thing is, call it a giving in pot. In scripture, you know, there was a, you know, quote unquote, widows and orphans fund, which was, you know, uh, supposed to be taken every three years, every three yeah. years. And uh, that fund was to be set of, set aside, and it's discussed in the Book of Acts and discussed in in Peter for you know widows and orphans. And mm. uh, you know, this is something to, for us to think about because, and I'm not going to manage such a fund. Somebody else has to do it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, and, uh, but, if somebody uh, in the Sefer in the Sefer community could organize like a giving pot to help other believers in times of crisis. Yeah, or I think it can only be a blessing. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And, and, you know, this is the, I don't know, the fifth time I've talked about it this week. So I think Yah is calling us to something like that. But I'm going to leave mm -hmm. it to somebody else in the group. If somebody is touched by the Ruach to handle this kind of thing, it would be a great blessing. Like I say, I know that there's people right now that are not eating. And it's going to increase that that situation is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And it would be a good thing to have the pouch. That's a pretty good word for it, Catherine, a pouch. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, we'll, do, we'll just call it that. And uh, and I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to raise it up in prayer here this morning. Okay. Yeah, please do, because. There's no greater love than saving somebody's life. There's no greater gift. And um, I still don't think John realizes. I, I wrote him an email, but he actually saved my son's life by his gift of transport money for David. A little, a little gift went a long way, didn't it? It okay, did. Catherine. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will. We'll and thank you so much, John, if you're listening. I'll never, I'll never, ever, ever, ever forget 
your true love and kindness. It has touched me beyond words. You saved my son's life. Thank you. Okay, Stephen. Thank you, Catherine. Blessings to you. And we'll continue. Sorry to about the tears. Day. I was just so touched. All right, we will. We're going to pray for David. Okay. All right, Gabriella. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Hi, Gabriella. Hi. So, how are you? Well, I'm doing okay. I'm. We're in kind of a tight schedule today, so I'm trying to do the best I can with uh, by giving everybody as much time as I can to speak. Okay. Two questions. First, can you go to Second Baruch 19, uh, verse 3? Uh, I didn't understand what means the spheres which testify. Nineteenth of oh, the spheres which testify. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Well, that's a difficult question now, isn't it? Okay, let's take a look at all three verses there. Okay. Second Baruch chapter 19. And he answered and said unto me, wherefore at the time he appointed for them a covenant and behold, and said, behold, I have placed before you life and death. And he called heaven and earth to witness against them. Well, that's a, a very interesting thing because when you're talking about uh, this idea of life and death. Remember that we have Gerizim and Eval, right? Yes. The, mount, the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Cursing. And recently that curse tablet was found on Eval. Interesting yeah. stuff. For he knew that his time was short, but that heaven and earth endure always. Now, even Mashiach says, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. But only the Father knows the day and the hour that heaven and earth shall pass away. Why did he say that? Because heaven and earth may never pass away, right? But after his death, they sinned and transgressed, though they knew that they had the Torah reproving them, and the light in which nothing could err, also the spheres which testify. So what he's referring to is heaven and earth, because that's who he's mentioned in verse 1 and in verse 2. That those spheres, those are the spheres that testify that um, that he says after the death they sinned, and they knew they had the Torah reproving them, and the light in which nothing could err, and the spheres which testify against them, right? Because heaven and earth are testifying against those who are in breach of the covenant. Now, I think when you talk about this, this is like as Ayn Rand once said. You can deny reality. You just can't deny the consequences of denying reality, right? And this is kind of an, an axiomatic premise, if you will, that the heaven and the earth do testify against covenant breakers. When you break the covenant, guess what happens? Death comes in. Error comes in. Destruction comes in. Uh, you know, societal decay comes in. The defilement. I mean, when you see a, a, a society imploding like ours is imploding right now, right? It's just collapsing on itself. It's like somebody detonated the World Trade Center and they're coming down. 
The buildings are coming down. Well, when you see that, there's a reason why it's happening. And the reason why it's happening is because you have substantial covenant breaking. Uh, like, uh, like I'll give you an example when you talk about the heaven and the earth testifying. You, if, if you think to yourself, well, I can walk outside in 125 degrees a day. And I can walk outside there with just wearing a loincloth. And I can spend the next 14 hours walking across the desert. And as long as I have my canteen here, I'm fine. Your skin is going to be so fried by the time you get to the other end of that desert that you're going to have to be hospitalized, right? Because the sun is testifying against you that you're not recognizing that the sun is going to burn you up. It's the same thing if you walk out in the middle of a freeway when trucks are driving 70 miles an hour. You think you can stand in front of a truck. You can't. And this is just the reality that heaven and earth and the principles governing thereof are going to testify against your errancy. But in this case, Baruch is talking about the covenant. What is the covenant that was placed before them? It was the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy 32, he says, this is my covenant, the Ten Devarim. This is my covenant, the Ten Devarim. And in Deuteronomy 5.22, it says, And he finished writing this covenant and added nothing further. This is the handwriting of Yah, his covenant for his people, given to his people face to face when he spoke to them at the Mount of Horeb, and then written down by his own fingertip on sapphire and handed to Moshe and said, this is my covenant. And yet, and when Moshe gave it, it behold, I have placed before you life and death. Live in the covenant, right? Do these things and live in them to break them is to invite death into your life because the heaven and the earth testify against your breaking that covenant and so so it's kind of a pragmatic statement if you will but thank you for bringing this up in terms of brook okay and what's your second question uh, second, actually, it's not question. You remember that I told that Ishi means father in Finnish language. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, do you know what Abba means in Finnish language? I don't. It it's called. It sounds Papa, and it means grandfather. Abba means grandfather. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that's all. But and maybe still, I get my grandsons to call me that instead of grandpa. You know, they say grandpa, and I'm like, yes. I just, <laughs> let me get my cane here and I'll answer that question. You know, Papa. That'd be, it'd be much nicer for them to call me Abba. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, cool. But anyway, yeah, but they'll, uh, you know, look, I love my grandson, so they can call me whatever they want. Just don't call me late for breakfast, right? <laughs> that's most important <laughs> okay Gabriella thank you much blessings to you blessings to you okay. hi David uh, Shabbat Shalom Stephen Shabbat Shalom I wasn't going to raise my hand until I felt moved by the Ruach and uh, the two humanities uh, it came up in my in my spirit that all in the first Adam uh, die but then there's the last Adam 
Well, there's two right there. There's the first atom and the last atom. Mm-hmm. Two humanities. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a strong, it goes, it went off in several, into all kinds of things that I could uh, talk a lot about, but uh, I'm going to honor your shortness of t- your, your time uh, frame and not get off into that. So, but the two humanities are pretty evident in that. Now, Hawa is saved by childbearing. That's a that's a deep subject too. See, so. right? Yeah, sure it is. Because it's like, for instance, when you talk about that, Dave, it's like a tree, right? The tree. When if you if you came into a, an area middle of winter, you'd look at the tree and say that tree is dead or in a doornail, right? But that tree is going to sprout live that coming spring, and it's going to be full of leaves again, right? Mm-hmm. But those leaves are going to come out, and they're going to live their life. And at the fall, they're going to turn brown and come right off that tree and be on the ground again, become foliage again, right? So we know that the tree of Adam and Eve is still living, but Adam and Eve aren't living. So when death came into the world, death came to Adam, but did not come to the seed of Adam. Death came to Eve, or Hua but did not come to the seed of Hua because we're still living. We're still here, right? Is that what you're trying to say? Excellent. Uh, what you came up with about the cursing on the Mount Yaboa uh, is so significant. I'm so pleased that uh, you announced that in the, in, in the Ruach, that it is Yahuwah's dominion that's manifesting. So awesome. Thank you for this opportunity, David. Yeah, thank you, David. It's always a pleasure to have you with us, brother. You, you bring good shalom. wisdom to the table. Shabbat, shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Okay, take care, brother. All right. Uh, John. There you are. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Yeah, Hi, I just, John. Uh, yeah, I had a comment about uh, connection with with... Uh, Three heavens and maybe the ten dimensions. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. interesting. The the Russian flag, the tricolor. Um, I think that came up in the time of the Tsars, about 1700, <clears throat> when they were starting to uh, ship out of uh, ice-free ports. And uh, but the three colors, uh, originally, there's uh, nobody really knows for sure but the original uh, idea was the three heavens the white is the heaven of god uh, the blue is the heaven of the the skies and red is where man dwells so that's a biblical connection with the three colors today they they've come up with all kind of other things but i think that that original um, color scheme came from the orthodox church in, uh, that still, is very fascinating. Now, the little piece mind, of history, yes. The third, the three heavens spoken of by Paul. Yeah. Now, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to share a whiteboard here for just a second. Sure. Uh, because we can talk about this while you're talking, John. So, if we put up the menorah, okay. So we'll put up the shamash, and then we'll put up the remaining lampstands, right? Okay, so we put up this menorah. Now, in scripture, there is a discussion that says, you shall come up to Jerusalem 
three times a year. All your males shall come unto Jerusalem three times a year. Well, those three times a year are the spring feasts and the fall feasts and Shavuot. Okay, so this is like matzah over here, matzah. And then this is, you know, teruah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, right? Teruah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. So what you see here is you see, even though there's seven lights in this lampstand, there's three groups, spring feast, Shavuot, fall feasts, right? So we have one, two, three times you shall come up to Jerusalem. Katsir, the spring feast, Shavuot, and then Asif, the fall feasts. That's how it's laid. I think it's Exodus something 22, I forget what it is, 32, 22 maybe. Anyway, so this is what you see with this. Now, when you talk about the heavens, let's just... Let's bomb back here and go back to our menorah. We can see in the heavens now, if there are seven heavens, yet we see the three groupings of heaven. So we would have the white here for the high heaven. This is the third heaven Paul refers to. Then we would have here the blue which is the second heaven or the Shemaim, as they call it in the Hebrew. And then here is the red. Now, why red? It's red because of the presence of blood. Yeah. All right. Now, take a look at this for a second. In our Hebrew class, we were studying, uh, and we know a couple of things that we're about to embark on our last study, which is going to be the discussion of the Aleph and the Tav. Now, the Aleph as a prefix means I will. The Tav as a prefix means you shall. So when we were looking at the word Torah, Torah comes from this word, Yira, like this, Yira. Okay. But if we put a tav in front of it, excuse me, I misspelled the, the tav. We put the tav in front of it. Here's what we see. Yira means to teach. Yira, to teach or to instruct. That is the root word of Torah. But if this tav is a prefix, this means you shall teach Torah. You shall teach, right? So when you see the commandment, for instance, lo na'af, no adultery, right? The, ta, the tav there means you shall, right? Lo, no, so or not. So when you have lo na'af, you shall not break wedlock, right? Na'af. You shall not. Lo ta. So this is, means you shall. But what about this aleph 
that means uh, that means I will. What about that? Well, take a look at this word here, right? Let's put out the word, this word. Okay, what is this word? Adam, Adam, okay? Now, this word here, Dam, is Hebrew for blood. That's the Hebrew word for blood. Now, if this is a prefix, meaning I will, what's it saying? I will be blood. So the name Adam, I will be blood. And so when you see this concept being expressed in what is man, that man would be created in the image of Yahweh. What is Yah saying? I will be manifest in blood. I will be manifest in blood. Interesting. Eh? Spirit. The spirit is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11. There it is. Inter interesting how the dots connect. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so fascinating that these three colors, I always wondered why the Russians went back to a tricolor. Why would you go back to red, white, and blue as a tricolor? But That's... it's that the Orthodox would propose this because remember, it's Paul who references three heavens, right? Paul references three heavens. I knew a man once who, you know, and who's he talking about that went to the third heaven? Who's When you're talking about going to the third heaven, I mean, this is the kind of stuff you see a little bit in the, in the Old Testament where it says, and Hanok was no more because Hanok walked with Yah. But when you read the book of Enoch, well, he was, you know, he basically was gone. He was taken. Same with, with Eliyahu or Elijah. He was, you know, the chariots came down and picked him up, right? But in the book of Hebrews, it says categorically, he was translated. What are you talking about translated? Isaiah. He was translated. He saw the throne room of heaven. John, in the book of Revelation, he was translated. He saw the throne of heaven. David was, or uh, not David, Daniel was translated, right? And then you have this open discussion about Mashiach ascending, right? Resurrecting and ascending. But when you talk about the ascension, you know, we think of this, oh, ascension. Or he was on some magic elevator that lifted him up into the stratosphere. Well, more likely, he ascended by moving out of this dimension in through a series of dimensions, the second dimension, third dimension, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, to the tenth dimension. A dimension which is not outside of where we live. You know, there's a song, Heaven, uh, Ooh, Heaven is a Place on Earth, right? You ever heard that song? Ooh, Heaven is a Place on Earth, right? Well, it's, you know, it's kind of a dumb song, uh, you know, by some valley girl somewhere. But the truth is, is that heaven is on earth as well as every place else, because, you know, the, like I was saying earlier, we see in a specific dimension, we hear in a specific dimension, we perceive the material world in a specific dimension, but the dimensions that are outside of us are right here. They're just in a different dimension. How do we, do we have any evidence of that in scripture? What's it say in Hebrews 12? 
you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They're just in a different dimension. You don't see them because they're in a different dimension. And Yah's dimension, we get this algorithm from Peter telling us this algorithm in quantum mechanics saying, well, to Yah, one day is a thousand years. Right? I mean, so these are the kinds of things that are being expressed to us. So for us to try to understand where are the demons, where are the Nephilim, where are the Nephilim, where are the fallen watchers, where is Hasatan, where are all these places, you know? And, and Paul is telling us, well, these guys are in the second heaven, and these guys are in the third heaven. And, you know, so the Orthodox, I mean, this is why the Orthodox, you know, and this is something like when I was looking at the cathedral of uh, Santa Basile Basor in Krasnya uh, you know, at Kremlin. In Moscow, you know, you look at that cathedral. What are those onion domes on top? Those onion domes were created to depict candlelight. That is depicting candlelight, and so these towers are lighting the candles. And you know, and that that Saint Basil's Cathedral in Red Square there has seven towers, and the Church of Intercession in the middle, right? So you're talking about, again, they, they understood very clearly the inference of the menorah. And the menorah was given to, I mean, this is why the genius of that architect, you know, when he built that thing, Ivan the Terrible called him into his office and he said, hey, I want to ask you a question. He says, what's that? Can you build that church again? And he said, yeah, I sure can. So he had his eyes put out. So he couldn't build it again anywhere else, Right. Uh, but the, the architect of that of that cathedral, when he built that cathedral, he built that cathedral with this understanding of the menorah that was given to us by Yah, because Yah gives us, you know, Yah gives us particular things. Let me give you an example. He told Moshe, you build a menorah and you build it just like this. You build the tabernacle and you build it just like this. You build the tent of meeting and you build it just like this. You build the Ark of the Covenant and you build it just like this, right? Specifics. Now, these are things that are made by mankind, but they're not made for idolatry or worship. They're made as part of the construct of Yah. Similarly, Yah told Moshe, you put a seraph on a banner. That's what he told him. Put a seraph on a banner. And Moshe instead put his symbol, the serpent, on a pole which was Moshe's symbol. My authority. I'm going to put my authority on the pole, the serpent. Whereas, whereas Yah told him, you put the symbol of life, you put the seraph on a banner. Right? I mean, it's very clear. That's what's in the passage. Right? I don't know where it is. But let me, let me see if I can find it here. Let me see if I can dig it up here just one second. And then we can take a look and I'll show you. And then you guys can see for yourself what's written. Okay, it's in it's in numbers. 20, uh, wait a minute. Yeah, I think it's 21.8. Let me see, let me see if I can find the numbers 21.8. Just a minute. Okay. Let's share the screen and take a look. Numbers 21.8. Uh, let's see, there it is. So in numbers 21, verse 8. You will see, right? Vayamer, once again, Vayamer, Vayamer, Yahweh, Al, Moshe. 
Okay, so what you see here is, and spoke ya, al Moshe, to Moshe, right? Asa, make you, lek, sharach, sharach, excuse me. So here it is. Moshe, et Moshe, asa, make, lek, saraf. Make to you a saraf, right? Vasim et tu al nes. You see this? Nes. What's this word? A flag, a sail, a flagstaff, a signal, a token, a banner. Okay? So he's telling him, make you, make to you a saraf, a saraf, and put it on a banner. That's what he tells him. Make to you a saraf and put it on a banner, right? Okay. So see, by uh, seam, right? And put, and put, by seam, and put, et, et to our banner. Our banner and set it to our banner. Now, what they tell you, Saraf here, look at this. Here's Strong's telling you, here's a Saraf. Oh, what's that mean? Oh, a burning, a poisonous serpent, specifically a Saraf or symbolic creature from their copper color. Okay, where do you get that the Saraf is copper colored? Where are the white eyewitnesses to the Saraf? Well, there's two of them. Isaiah was an eyewitness to a seraph, and John in the book of Revelation was an eyewitness to a seraph. And Isaiah says, I saw the seraphim, and the seraphim had two wings above them, two wings with which they flew, two wings with which they covered themselves. And John describes the exact same thing in his vision of heaven in Revelation 9, right? And they say, oh, well, this comes from seraph, meaning to set on fire, to make a burning, to kinder, kindle. Well, this, again, is Strong's telling you something that is completely contrary to the eyewitness in Scripture. Did Isaiah mention that these seraphim were burning when he saw them in heaven? No. Did John say they were burning when he saw them in heaven? No. But Strong says, oh, they're burning. That's a fiery serpent. Why? Because they want to pretend that Moshe didn't disobey. But Moshe most assuredly disobeyed. He was told to put a saraf, make you asa, make to you let a saraf. They seem and put it, it on a banner, nace. And they, asa, Moshe, and Moshe made nakash, a serpent. You see this? The very next verse. And Moshe made a serpent, a snake. And he put that on a pole. Now, I don't know about you, but he was told to make a saraf, right here, saraf. And he instead made a nachash. So as a consequence, we have certain things that have been given to us by Yah. The menorah is one. 
the seraph on the banner is another. The tabernacle is another. The Ark of the Covenant is another. These things were given to us by Yah. Make these things. He gave us the uniform, if you will, of the Levite priest. And, the, and he gave us instructions about, you know, wearing linen and so on and so forth. There's a reason why the Levite priest had to be in linen because of the frequency of the linen when he stepped in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And these things, I mean, I'm telling you, the quantum physics that's present in, in, uh, in scripture is unbelievable. Like, for instance, yeah. there's a thing that goes on in scripture. You can, you can check it out for yourself. But Moshe was so mad at the people when they made the golden calf that he took the gold and he reduced it to powder. You remember this? He reduced it to powder. Yeah. Now, do you know how difficult it is to reduce gold to, to powder? You have to smelt it beyond it becoming a liquid alloy. You have to smelt it beyond that. You have to heat it to about 3,400 degrees. Well, he had that capability. Well, when you take gold and you, and you cook it to 3,400 degrees, it becomes a white powder. Silver does the same thing, and so does uh, platinum. And they become a white powder. And the, the DNA looks, or the, the uh, uh, molecule looks conspicuously like DNA in that, at that uh, level. And guess what? It becomes monatomic. Monatomic. So when you take gold powder and you put it inside the Ark of the Covenant, which given its description weighed about 3,500 pounds or the weight of a pickup truck, and yet four Levites were able to put wooden poles on it and carry it barefoot across the desert. How'd they do that? Monatomic. They had monatomic gold in there. And when the electricity came through the carabine, 100,000 volts, this has been established when they rebuilt it, 100,000 volts, that monatomic gold inside the Ark of the Covenant would take on negative weight, negative weight. And they were able to lift the Ark and walk through the desert because it weighed nothing, because it took on negative weight because of the monatomic gold. These are principles that have just recently, I mean, we're talking in this century, that have been discovered, but that Moshe knew about when they were in the, in the wilderness. And yeah. pursuant to Yah's instruction, you build the Ark of the Covenant this way with the Caribbean and their wings facing each other like this, solid gold top, solid gold lining inside the covenant, because it would take the electricity in the field, the static electricity, and, and reduce it into this cathode, if you will, that was going to become a receiver of electricity that would allow the Ark to move. However, with that kind of electricity resident inside the Ark of the Covenant, you couldn't approach that Ark of the Covenant unless you were wearing the proper dress. It's a tuned that, circuit. It's a what? It's a, it's a tuned circuit also. So it operated under a specific frequency. Yeah, under a specific frequency. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. There it yeah. is. And due to the capacitance that's sitting there holding a charge, you touch it and your foot's on the ground, it's going to go right through you and burn you to death. Which That's is what, what happened, happened to his, which is what happened to Aaron's two sons. They it's touched it, touched and both it. dead. Yeah. Right? And so this, I mean, all of this stuff, it turns out to be uh, uh, incredibly important instruction that we find inside the Torah. Yeah, and this is science that the science guys don't even have a clue about. Yeah. Not one clue. <laughs> They're the science guys. Well, you know, you know, John, you know what they say? That uh, a fool says in his heart, there is no Yah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, so here they are. They've been, they've been on this. There is no Yah science since Darwin. 
And look what they've discovered. They've discovered a way to kill everybody, and that's about it. Yeah, they, they worship theories that they can't prove. Yeah, 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 crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. You need to stay away from people like this. Step back a little bit, because uh, <laughs> it's dangerous to be around them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, you know, I they love remind, it. They remind me, did you see the movie, The Gladiator? Oh, yeah, of course. You think about the first, the scene of the, the, the gladiators, uh, they were in some center in North Africa going into their first game. And there's this guy in front of, uh, in front of the hero. Yeah, he, he wets his pants, right? You remember that scene? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, what's, what's the gladiator guy's name? Um, yeah, Maximus. Maximus, yeah, he steps back. He takes one step back away from this guy because he said he knows that guy's a dead man, and he got it right out of the right out of the chute. So these <laughs> are the science guys. They're gonna wet their pants sooner or later, and you better be staying away from them. They're not gonna yeah. make it, especially if there's electricity in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> they all of a sudden become conductors, you know. Yeah. It's going to well, be you know, sad, it's, but, it's yeah, very yeah. interesting, though, John, that that uh, that you would bring that up, because I think we are at a point now where we're starting to see. I think the screw is turning. I really do. I think that Yah's hand is now moving on behalf yeah. of those people and righteousness is going to rise. And I feel sorry for those people who have pushed out the, you know, pushed out the the, the level of decadence in this world. They pushed yeah. it out so far. And that pendulum has been pushed way, way, way out and up. And now with, with the screw turning, when that pendulum starts to swing back, it's going to swing back way, way, way far and up. And so the, the, uh, the intolerance for those progressive things is going to become very, very acute. It's like, yeah, no. We'll see, the, we'll see yeah. the harvesting. The harvesting of the tares comes first. <laughs> I think you're right about that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. All right. Well, we're going to take some time now to pray. And uh, and then uh, when we're done with prayer, then I'm just going to go ahead and wrap it up today because I need to, of course, I need to go. And I want to thank you guys. And, you know, I kind of like, I want, I want to go to Vern first before we do. Vern, go ahead. You got something on your heart there, brother? There you go. Oh, there you are. Um, I was reading in in uh, Second Baruch, chapter twenty six and chapter twenty seven, and it's it's totally different subject than what you're talking about. But I think it might explain in depth more the uh, what is going to happen in the tribulation. Mm, yeah, yeah. The 12 parts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's very, very interesting in this, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, if you look at verse eight in chapter 27, it says wanting, right? And what we mean by wanting is that there was no verse eight. It was blank in, in the original script. It was blank. And and there's a reason why the seventh one was blank, because, of course, the seventh is the completion of Yah. And it's like one of the things that I wrote about uh, on the um, 
you remember the seven thunders that sound in Revelation? I think it's in Revelation 10 that you have seven thunders sound. Well, I found those seven thunders there in Psalm 29, and they are not bad things. They're, in fact, really good things. And they talk about the second exodus. And it talks about, you know, returning of Yah's people to the white hills of Lebanon. And it's very uh, kind of specific. And here you see the same thing here, that even though you have all this bad stuff happening, this seventh thing is, is left out because the seventh thing is also the blessing of Yah, right? So you see in the first part, there shall be beginning of commotions. And the second part, the slaying of the great ones. The third part, the fall of many by death. I mean, all of these things are in place. The fourth part... The fourth part, the sending of the sword, war, right? Again, the Torah portion in Matthew 24 talks about this, right? The fifth part, famine and the withholding of rain. Well, this is on the earth right now. I'm telling you, Lake Mead, they're talking, you know what they're talking about doing right now? They're talking about putting a pipe under the low spot of Lake Mead to finish draining what's left of the water. Because they're so desperate for water, they've got nothing left, right? Uh, and the sixth part, earthquakes and terrors. That's coming. You know, Seattle just recently published a report that a 7.5 quake in the Seattle area would put a 20-foot tsunami in downtown Seattle in three minutes. Well, that's a 7.5 quake, you know, which we have up here all the time. Try a 9.0 and see what that tsunami looks like. It'd be more like 60 to 100 feet, right? And then the seventh part, wanting, there's nothing here because this is actually God's blessing. In the eighth part, a multitude of specters and attacks of the Shadim. Now, this is also happening. There's been all these guys reporting, oh, there's UFOs, you know, like Tucker Carlson reported that some ship off the coast of, some Navy ship off the coast of San Diego was attacked by over 100 UFOs that were defying the laws of physics. Well, maybe the attacks of the Shadim, the demons, right? The ninth part, the fall of fire. This may be a heavenly fire experienced by Sodom and Gomorrah. The 10th part, rapine and much oppression. Oh yeah, that's already on the planet, but it's going to be much worse. The 11th part, wickedness and unchastity. Well, what do we see going on right now? The 12th part, confusion from the mingling together of all those things aforesaid. So Second Baruch is telling you, it's not going to happen in order. This stuff is going to be mingled. It's going to happen all at the same time. And it's the same thing you see in the book of Revelation, that, you know, when you have the seals and, and then you have the trumpets and then you have the bowls, those are essentially the same judgment. Just one is increased upon the other. And it starts out as a seal, then it becomes a trumpet, then it becomes a bowl judgment. And those things, they just keep moving through. And it's And this is the problem because it's confusing because it's intermingled. That's why when you look at when you look at Revelation, you say, oh, well, this has to happen before that happens. That's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. And you have this idea of biphetic prophecies. The book is split in two. You have chapters one through nine, and then you have 10 through 22, right? Actually, it's 11 through 22. One is preaching to one side of the church, i.e. those who were not of the chosen people, but are being grafted in. And the other side is speaking to the chosen people who have to be regrafted back in. So, you know, this is all, this is why, uh, you know, being able to read scripture with discernment is a very important part. 
don't lock yourself down to, well, then the word is then. The then may not even appear in the Hebrew, but somebody added it. We know Ezekiel is intentionally out of order. We know Daniel is intentionally out of order, right? These are out of order books. And so when, when Baruch says here in the 12th part, confusion, because these things are mingled together. For these parts of that time are reserved and shall be mingled one with another and minister one to another. In other words, one thing is going to set off another. For some shall leave out some of their own and receive in its stead from others, and some complete their own and that of others, so that those may not understand who are upon the earth in those days, that this is the consummation of the times. And, you know, this is what's so wonderful about Second Baruch. I mean, it was when, when we found Second Baruch, it was like, oh, yeah, are you kidding? This has to be included. It has to be included. And the scribe Baruch was a, such an instrumental part in the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah received all the credit, but Baruch was an instrumental part in his life. And when we're in Britain, we hope to visit the grave of Baruch, which they believe is on Bari Island, which is no longer an island, but near Cardiff in Wales. Okay. Okay. Now here we have, a, we have a question from somebody who's writing me privately, I'm not a part of this group, but let's take her question. I have a scripture question. Someone asked if we can answer it. In Isaiah eleven six, it says the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. And the person who said this is saying that scripture was altered and it should have said the lion shall lay down with the lamb. And the only reason it's changed is because of the Mandela effect. Well, this is absolutely not true. The wolf with the lamb I mean, I can show you a, an artifact right now uh, of the 1611 KJV, and it says the wolf and the lamb. The 1560 Geneva says the wolf and the lamb. The Masoretic text says the wolf and the lamb. Well, here, let's see, 11.6. We can go take a look at that. Let's go take a look at Isaiah 11.6, and let's see what it says. We're going to make this easy on ourselves. If you don't mind, Bernard, this was there anything else you wanted to bring up, Bernard, before I go to this? I wanted to read, and that's uh, Second Baruch 32. Second Baruch 32? Yeah, verse 1. But as for you, if ye prepare your hearts so as to sow in them the fruits of the Torah, it shall protect you in the time in which Elo El Elohim is to shake the whole creation. Yeah, amen, brother. And thank you for bringing up that verse. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and it continues, because after a little time, the building of Zion shall be shaken in order that it may be built again, okay? And so when we talk about sheltering yourself in the Torah, in the fruits of the Torah, right? In the fruits of the Torah. Well, again, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about this. For those of you who missed the Hebrew class at Sefer Academy, next week is our last class in the Hebrew. We're going to be doing the Aleph Tav. And that's, uh, yeah, this, this upcoming Wednesday. And then we're going to be going from there into a study of the Ten Devarim, which is going to be a comprehensive study of the Torah from a view of the hierarchy of Matthew excuse me, Mark 12, 28 and 29 and reading the Torah down through the 10 Devarim. So it's going to be, uh, uh, for those of you that are interested in studying the Torah this way, instead of through Torah portions, 
we're going to be looking at a comprehensive review of the statutes, judgments, laws, and commands of YAH. And that will be starting not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. If you want to join that class, just go to the Sefer Academy and you can sign up and join that class. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, prepare your heart so as to sow in them the fruits of the Torah, which is what? Righteousness, right? And so John puts up here the passage out of 11.6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. All right, well, let's take a look and see what's in the Masoretic text. So in 11.6, we see, let's take a look. Okay, 11.6 is a minute. Oh, I need 11.6. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so you have a Zahab here, Zahab right here. And Zahab means to be yellow or wolf. There's nothing about a lamb here, Zahab. Now, this Zahab is very interesting because they could have said, Instead of a wolf, a yeller dog, you know, old yeller. And old yeller shall lie down im with, right? Kebis, a ram, right? A ram. So the yellow dog shall lie down with the ram. And this, so this is not the idea. See, this is the problem is that everybody has used the lion and the lamb concept. Oh, he's going to, you know, he first was here as a lamb and he's going to come back as a lion. Okay. And just because that's being used in the evangelical world for year, the lion and the lamb, does not mean that that's what's said in the book of Isaiah. And I'm telling you, I've looked at this over and over in every possible edition you can imagine. And it is the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. Now, I'll tell you, this is an important concept too, because when you're talking about the wolf lying down with the lamb, what what is which tribe of Israel is called the ravening wolf? Benjamin. Exactly. Who said that? I Who did. Was, I did. Yeah. Sherry. Sherry, there you are. Yeah, hi, Sherry. Yeah, Benjamin. So and so when you're talking about lying down with the lamb, which is Judah, what 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 this passage is saying is that Benjamin and and Judah will become. Will not be. Remember, it was Judah that destroyed the tribe of, of Benjamin in the end of, of uh, Judges. But it says that the wolf shall lie down with the lamb. That is to say, Benjamin shall be integrated into Judah, which is exactly what happens. That's the, what the, the description that takes place at the end of Judges, and that's what is the implication of this passage. Not that we're talking about Mashiach, the lion and the lamb. So there's lots of ministries out there that are lion and the lamb ministries, but. That's not what that's not what's written in in Isaiah. It is the wolf and the lamb. Okay, 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 okay. So Daniel says a wolf. Okay, we said before that's my conclusion. It must be a wolf, not lion. There was a lion at some point. They did a thorough job of changing it, probably from the CIA jibber jabber mind control shenanigans. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I can if you guys want, I'll get the uh, my 1611 KJV facsimile. And we can take a look at it, but it does say wolf and the lamb. Okay. Can I just interrupt here for a sec? Sure, Murray. Yeah, like I I read an article somewhere that it's lion and lamb. It's a bar in in England. And that's where they got it messed up. 
<laughs> yeah, some pub, some pub in London, somewhere, the lion in the land. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible that somebody says that. <laughs> possible somebody said something up like that. But I mean, you know, I mean, you know, the discussion in the New Testament is that Mashiach comes as a lamb, but he is going to come back as a lion, right? And that's the big discussion point. Okay, that's okay. And so a lot of ministries were formed, the lion and the lamb. Okay, I mean, like uh, Monte Judas ministry is called uh, the lion and the lamb, right? Uh, when we do shows on lamb messianic TV, right? Again, that has ties to Monte Judah, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what the passage in Isaiah says. It's the wolf of the lamb. And it means something entirely different. It's talking about the tribes. It's talking about Benjamin, the ravening wolf, would lie down with Judah, and uh, which uh, has, in fact, happened. Okay. Well, thank you, Murray. Thanks for bringing up this London pub. We'll have to go look for it when we're in London. You know, we're, when we go to London... We're going to be, uh, we're going to Mount Lud. We want to find the original site of Mount Lud. So part of the history class that's going to be going on, we're going to be teaching live from our trips in the British Isles. And we hope to be able to present videos on uh, the grave of Baruch, the grave of Miriam, the church of St. Illid, uh, which is 36 AD in, uh, in Southwest Wales, in uh, Glamorgan. We're going to be visiting the tomb of Jeremiah, and uh, so we're, and, and hopefully we're going to be able to get to Mount Lude, which is the situs of St. Paul's Cathedral. Mount Lude being the very place where Paul uh, was uh, preaching to the very first church, because Paul did make a trip to Britain. And this is illustrated in Acts chapter 29, Acts chapter 29, which the Sefer includes, and it's not included in any other text. And we relied upon the Sunini manuscript which was found during the time of Louis XVI in the late 1700s in the archives of the Hagia Sophia or the great church of Christendom in, which at that time was called Constantinople. And the Muslims had overtaken that church. And even though they had overtaken the church, they did not destroy all of the thousands of texts that were archived in its crypts. And when Sonini got there, he went to the Sultan and said, where's the best manuscripts you have here? And the Sultan says, I know right where they are. Here, I'll show you. And he takes them and he shows them. And Sonini finds this book of Acts that includes the 29th chapter. And so he grabs this, this scroll and he heads back to Paris and he's going to bring it back to Louis XVI. When he gets there, Louis XVI is being beheaded. So he instead does, like everybody else did for 500 years, he removed the manuscript to Ireland, where he knew that the Irish would take care of the manuscript like it was their own child, which, by the way, is what Ireland does today. If you go to Trinity University, you'll find in that library 200,000 volumes, and they receive two square miles of books every year from all over the world that they continue to archive at Trinity University. And so it is the literary capital of the world Dublin is. And they have always taken care of these manuscripts. Well, this manuscript was taken care of in Ireland until it was finally rediscovered in the 1880s. And when it was, somebody translated it and went, hey, there's a 29th chapter in the book of Acts. We looked at the chapter and we said, we think it has veracity. Because in that chapter, it, it says that Paul traveled to Spain. 
Well, Paul says he's going to travel to Spain in Romans. And guess what? Historically, we know for a fact that he traveled to Spain because he appointed five bishops in Spain, including the bishops of Sevilla and Cordoba and throughout all of central Spain. This was Paul appointing these bishops. So there's historical record. He went to Spain. He was not beheaded in Rome. And then he went to the mountain, according to the book of Acts, where Pontius Pilate committed suicide. Now, you might ask yourself, what is this? Pontius Pilate committed suicide? Yeah, he threw himself off a mountainside because of what his wife had told him. Don't have anything to do with the death of this man. Remember, she told him, I've had a bad dream. Don't have anything to do with this man. And he comes out and washes his hands. I wash my hands of your disposition. Right? He washed his hands, but it wasn't sufficient. And because all of Christianity was born because of the crucifixion of Mashiach, Pilate lost everything. And so he throws himself off this mountain. Now, we had somebody who lives in Switzerland who told us, oh, yeah, I used to live on the lake where that mountain is. And that's exactly what it's called. And it's named after Pontius Pilate, where he committed suicide. And Paul went there and visited that mountain before he ended up in Macedonia, where he died from natural causes, probably from some old wounds from being stoned to death. You know, or maybe it was the thing in his side that finally got to him. But anyway, that he was not beheaded in Rome. All of that is Rome mythology. Okay, so with that, let's pray, and then we'll go ahead and complete the meeting today, okay? So uh, I want to start by lifting up uh, Jim and Abby, uh, who are in the fires, okay? So Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we come to you as a body. We want to give thanks, yeah, that you have blessed us with your Shabbat and that you have brought us together as a family, and that as a family, we pray, Father, that you would give us a spirit of tolerance and forgiveness for one another, and give us the room to disagree with one another, and that we might still love one another even in disagreement, and that we would come to agree on the things that matter most to you, which is the, the, uh, the stories of the gospel, uh, the death of Mashiach, the atoning blood that was shed, and his resurrection into life, that we might be resurrected with him as we have died with him, that we would be resurrected with him. We give thanks to you for all these things that you have put the miracle of your word before us in all of its depth, and that we have the opportunity to study it and to research it, to look through it, discover what is there, and to be on a never-ending quest to find the truth of your great word. Thank you, Father, for that. Father, we want to lift our petitions to you this morning. We want to come together and raise our voices to say, yeah, hear our voice and answer, Father, in accordance with your will. And we want to lift up to you, Jim and Abby and their family who are north there in Alaska, north of Healy, uh, in a wilderness area, Father. You know exactly where they are. And they are carving out an area that they might be able to live there as gatekeepers over your kingdom on this northern tier. Father, we pray that the, that the wicked machinations of men, and in particular the federal agents who are present in the land, that you would frustrate their plans and would not allow the flames of that fire to get any nearer to the property of uh, Jim and Abby, and that this land would be spared from the ruination of the flames, and that the flames would go in a completely different direction. And that you would cause your wind to come up to blow the, the flames away and cause your rain to come up that would extinguish the fires as they get near, that you would bless that land 
Bless that land, Father, that it would be sanctified in your name and that your name would be raised over it, that your temple might be able to be constructed in this sacred place. For this is your land, Father. We give it to you with the prayer that you would establish yourself here. Put your feet down on the mountain above the mountains, that you would establish your Zion here, and that it would become a sacred place and a place where it would be handled with sacred hands and unshod feet, that we would stand on holy ground as you would see fit to make it, Father. We pray this would be your will. So we pray for the protection of Jim and Abby and that land and their family, Father. We also pray for Lynn and in his travels as he is preparing to move forward, Father. We pray that you would put a shofar in his hands and give him a safe travel, that he would be able to move quickly and be able to move where he needs to be that it would be a blessing and that you would prosper him where he goes and that there would be no trouble between now and then. All the troubles would just evaporate. And instead, you would open doors in front of him and close doors behind him that no man can open and open doors that no man can close that he might be able to go through to this new walk and this new life, Father. We pray that now. And, and knowing that you are a Yah who hears and understands. Thank you, Father. We also want to praise and give a, a great round of praise for what has happened with David, Catherine's son, that you are blessing him now, Father, blessing him with miraculous healing, and that uh, by the goodwill of John, that uh, that David was able to make this move to get up to uh, a new treatment center, and Father, that the doctors there were able to judge rightly and with wisdom and to say, well, where you were, they would have killed you had you stayed there any longer but we're going to put you on proper treatment and that the proper treatment is now forthcoming uh, where David is concerned and he's being treated correctly. And maybe we just pray for his continued healing father, not only physically father, but that you would also heal him spiritually, that he might find your name and he might find your face and he might find your hand and he might find your word and become an agent on behalf of the kingdom father, a disciple, coming forward and saying, I too shall teach your word. Uh, yes, Father, may the Torah be resident within him and may he grow into this. We want to give thanks for all the brothers and sisters in this fellowship, Father, and pray that we would, again, minister towards one, one another without condemnation, without competition, without anger, without wrath, and but with the spirit of forgiveness and healing among us. Again, that we can accommodate uh, disagreements among us and preferences and so on and so forth about the things that are peripheral to your gospel, but that we can come in agreement about the central tenets of the faith and what it means to us, and that we would be on one page when it comes to what you want us to understand and finding the narrow path and walking that journey with integrity and strength. Father, I pray that you would bestow upon us the ruach of correction, that we would, in fact, walk with integrity and that we would walk in righteousness in your Torah. We would find a way to do this, Father, that we would find a way to do this and that you would grace us with your mercy and strength and your ruach of counsel and truth to guide us in paths of righteousness, Father. Help us to stay on the narrow path. We lift these things to you now in the glory of your son, Yahusha, whose name we call upon and whose blood we rely upon and whose resurrection, in whose resurrection we rejoice, Father. 
Carry us with you now in spirit and in truth. Let us be your children, Father, for you are our Elohim. There is no other. Bahashem Yahusha. Amen and amen. Okay, brothers and sisters. So thank you so much for allowing me a shorter day here on Shabbat. I hope all of your Sabbath is going to be blessed today. May you rest in him, be completely healed, and, and may you be able to look into the next week with no fear, nothing but strength, nothing but peace, and the knowledge of Yahweh. Okay? All right. Thanks so much, brothers and sisters. We'll say shalom and Shabbat shalom. 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 Shalom.